Paul's uh, speaking about some of the trials that he's faced. He's writing this letter from prison. And we'll probably remind you of that every week for the next several weeks, that he's writing this letter from prison. Because when you remember that, it really sheds a lot of light on the joy that Paul had in his life, that even in the bad times, he could worship God. Even in what he was going through, he's telling other people who aren't going through the same trials, maintain your joy. He's preparing them for some things. Some of you are going through some things right now. Some of us uh, have shared those things. Some of you are going through things that maybe nobody in this room knows. Maybe you've had word from a doctor and you just haven't shared it with anybody. Or maybe you're going through a trial at home with your family or your finances or uh, uh, maybe just an emotional struggle that you're dealing with and you haven't told anybody. We're all going through things. And if you're not, you may be sitting there thinking, who are these people? I have no problems at all in life. That might be some of our teenagers in the room. They might be thinking, man, this is, this is boring because I don't have problems, you know? What are these old people doing? Understand this, even if you don't have trials going on in your life, you may soon. Uh, you eventually will. That's almost a guarantee in this life that we live is we will face suffering. As we are in Philippians 1, I want to open up with two quotes. And I, I love quotes, and these are, these are good, both of them. But they both kind of give the extremes on suffering. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, those who understand God's sovereignty have joy even in the midst of suffering. A joy reflected on their very faces, for they see that their suffering is not without purpose. How many believe that? That, hey, yeah, if we understand that God is in control, we still have joy even in our suffering because we know that there's a purpose behind it. Oswald Chambers, another great minister, said this. We all know people who have been made much meaner and more irritable and more intolerable to live with by suffering. It is not right to say that all suffering perfects, he says. It only perfects one type of person, the one who accepts the call of God in Christ Jesus. Both of these quotes are accurate. Yes, I mean, suffering uh, is much more tolerable when we go through it understanding that God is in control. We can maintain our joy. But this second quote's also true, that not everybody endures suffering the same way. And we probably do know some people that, man, they go through something and it's the end of the world. Maybe some of us are sitting here and the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped us on the shoulder and said, that's you he's talking about there. Uh, you're the one. It's almost like the flu season that we have. You know, people are getting the flu. And have you noticed that it's much worse for men this year than it is for women? Same flu, different responses, right? And that's what he's kind of getting at with his suffering. It's how we view our suffering that makes a difference, okay? And we don't want to downplay suffering. Uh, Suffering is suffering, no matter what. It's not something we look forward to. It's not something that I could honestly say that, you know, hey, this is great. I'm looking forward to it. Bring it on. But when we go through it, we must maintain our joy. And Paul's going to speak to us about how to do that. Let's look in verse uh, 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And just let me stop there. This is at the heart of everything he says is that the main purpose in all of this is to advance the gospel. And the gospel is simply, gospel means good news. 
He says, above everything else, I want you to know that anything that's happened to me, the main thing about it is, is it has caused the gospel to spread. And he'll talk about how it spreads here in just a second. But I want us to understand what the gospel is. It's the good news. The gospel is the fact that every one of us are sinners. That's part of the gospel. We start there. And that shouldn't be hard for us to acknowledge. Some people, you know, we kind of puff up and say, not me, I'm not a sinner. Every one of us are sinners. We've, we've all either lied, cheated, stole, had jealous feelings. We may sit here and say, well, I, you know, I'm not a serial killer or anything. No, but we've sinned. All of us are sinners. And the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we are dead to God. We are separated from God. And one day we will face eternal death because of our sins if we don't find something to fix the problem. And here's where the good news comes in, is that Jesus Christ came and he died on an old rugged cross. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be moved into a right relationship with God. That's good news. When I look at my life and when we all look at our lives, we look and say, man, how could I ever live up to what God wants from me? How could I ever be good enough to measure up to God's standards to enter into heaven? And the good news is I do it through Christ Jesus. That I'm going to enter heaven based on the fact that he has forgiven my sins and he has written my name down in that Lamb's book of life. So he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, he kind of changes the tone now. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to add, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached or proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit uh, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So verse 12 gives us our thought that I want us to focus on today, though. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the gospel. Think about that. Think about what he just said there, the things that have happened to me. Now, he doesn't go into a lot of detail, does he? He just kind of sums it up in this, the things that have happened to me, and then moves on. But if you look through Scripture, you, you can find what he's talking about. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, listen to what the apostle says, and he describes his life. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Five times. I, I, we think about Paul, and we think about, yeah, he was, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was scourged, but here he kind of places an emphasis on numbers, too. Five times. Maybe after the first time, some folks would say, hey, this preaching thing's not for me. 
you know, I just preached a sermon and I got beat with 40 lashes minus one. And the minus one was, some people say, was just to make sure you didn't kill the guy. These were severe beatings. Some people might say after the second time they got beat like that, yeah, I think I'm going to get a different line of work. Or the third or the fourth. Or maybe the fifth time, we might be the guy that says, you know, I think I'm going to take an early retirement. Five times. This is part of what he's talking about when he says, I want you to know that the things which happened to me have helped to spread the gospel. Is that five times I was beaten. Three times I was beaten with rods. Again, the number means a lot to me. The first time I did it and Carl Jackson's in the back with a rod and beats me over the back on a Sunday morning, you know, I might come back and preach next week thinking that, well, maybe Kevin, the other deacon, will kind of help me out here. But the next week I come and Kevin and Carl both got rods and they're beating me. The second, I'd probably quit and find another church. But three times he's beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Kathy just got back from Oklahoma and flew the plane, got in just in time before everybody shut down the airlines on Wednesday. But how many of us, if we were in a plane crash, would have a little bit of doubt getting in the plane the next time? Miraculously, we survived, and what are we going to do? I'm going to get on a plane and fly. I'd be on a train going home. But this guy, three times, is shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, and then listen how many times he uses the term danger. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my, uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And I kind of find that comical. You know, he talks about all these terrible things and dangers and things that have happened to him, and then he ends up by saying, and on top of that, the sheer pressure of being a pastor. But he says, all of these things, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that these things that have happened to me are for the furtherance of the gospel. How he approached his suffering matters because it's what kept him going. It's what gave him joy despite everything else. So Paul is, in, in certain places, he's clear about the suffering he faces. But here in Philippians, where we are today, he just sums it all up by saying, the things that have happened to me. He doesn't go into detail. And I think it's because his emphasis is on the joy and peace that he has and not on the trials and sufferings he endures. He says, I want you to know, brethren, the things that happened to me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to know not how great my trials are, but how great my God is. Let me ask this. How many of us are guilty sometimes of letting the whole world know how bad we've got it. You know, 
Brother Dave Martin and I, we, he'd come in and he'll give me my little avocados or treats, but usually I'll stand up for my thing and go, oh man, my back's hurting. And he says, you, you, that ain't nothing, my knee. And, and we compare our notes of our suffering and trials. And we laugh about that, but we're really good at complaining, aren't we? But he says, I don't want you to know about the details of my suffering. What I want you to know is my God is faithful. And I want you to know that there's a purpose in everything that we go through. Some of the things that Paul wanted them to know. First, I think God wanted them to know that there was a plan. That there was a reason he's going through this. That, that there's a direction through it. That there is a way out. That there's another side. That there's a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. That maybe through this life we'll face suffering and hardships and trials. But God has a plan. And we don't see that now, but maybe in this life we will, or maybe it'll be eternity when we look back and see, thank you, God, for seeing me through this time. Thank you for leading me beside the still waters. Thank you for guiding me through the paths. And, and thank you, God, for shepherding me through the valleys and over the hilltops. We don't see it now, but God has a plan. R.C. Sproul said, it is when we view our sufferings as meaningless and without purpose that we are tempted to despair. Have you been there? Are you going through this and you say, why am I going through this? This is pointless. This, what is the point of all this suffering? But God has a plan. And the Apostle Paul said, I want you to know, brothers, that the things that happened to me, there was a plan behind it, and it was that the gospel be spread. He goes on and says, because of where I am, he says, the gospel is known throughout the whole palace. Everybody in this place knows the gospel because I'm here. There's a soldier chained to him, and he says, he knows the gospel because I'm here. I read somewhere, and I don't know the accuracy of it, but I read somewhere that they would keep changing guards on him because maybe he was having an impact on their lives. and They didn't like that. But he realized there was a plan and there was a purpose and there was a reason for everything. The second thing he says, and we just kind of covered that, is I want you to know that the gospel is being proclaimed. Even in the midst of suffering, he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. There's a plan and it is that Christ be proclaimed. He's very clear, isn't he? He says, my imprisonment is for Christ. One theologian said this. He said, we are given both the duty and the privilege to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Think about that. That is an amazing statement. We just look at suffering and trials and tribulations, but this theologian said, it's the duty that we've been given and it's also a privilege that we've been given. What joy it is that we can be imprisoned with Christ and for Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the things that happen to me also have increased the courage of others. That because he was there and because he was going through what he was going through, others found great courage and great hope. Look at verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Paul said, because of what I'm going through and the suffering that I'm facing, he says, I'm not going to get down. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because those who are on the outside have a whole lot more courage now. It kind of sparked a fire in the church. Does that happen with us? Don't we sometimes watch a brother or sister go through a trial and we see how they face it and how they endure it? And we watch and we say, man, that inspires me that if they can live the way they're living with the suffering that they have and they're still praising God and they're still worshiping, then I can do the same thing through whatever I'm facing. The courage of others was boosted. So there's a reason for it. I want you to know, brothers, that the things that happen to me are not without a purpose. And then in verses 15, we see Paul's attitude towards difficult people. And this is a good lesson for some of us. Not everybody is going to be on our good side, if you will. We're not going to like everybody. Everybody's not going to like us. Everybody's not going to do things the same way we do them or the way that we think they should be done. Some people that we are confronted with in life are going to be selfish. They're going to have wrong motives. But Paul approaches this and he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. He's not even discouraged by the fact that there are others out there doing things for the wrong reason. I think some of us would be less devastated by others if we would just come to accept that they're not always going to do things the way we think they ought to. Our expectations, I think, sometimes are too high. I mean, I just quoted a few moments ago the fact that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners. The difference between us is that we've surrendered our sin to Christ. We've asked him to forgive us, but we're still human, and we still make mistakes, and we still sin, we still do wrong. But why is it we hold others to such a higher standard than we hold ourselves to? Maybe if we begin to look at others and say, well, they're human, they're sinners, and I'm not going to let that rob me of my joy. So he says, some preach it for the wrong reason, but others do it right. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But there are some, he says, that proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to handle this? He answers only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. I think for me, I find this to be the challenge as a preacher, as a pastor, and in the larger church world. There are a lot of folks out there who I think Man, you are doing it all wrong. There's a lot of folks out there I think are doing it for the wrong reasons. There's a lot of folks maybe that attack me for the way I do things. But Paul says, how am I going to handle that? I'm just going to rejoice that Christ is being preached. I'm just going to rejoice that the gospel is going out. I'll let God worry about motives. 
I'll focus on this fact. So he closes in verses 18 to 20, and he kind of gives the answer to all his suffering. And I love his words. The end of verse, I think, 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy and the help of the Spirit of Christ, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so he kind of sums this whole passage up about his suffering and maintaining joy and, and the good news. What do I want you to know? And I want you to know that God has a plan. I want you to know that the gospel is being proclaimed. And I want you to know that you're going to have difficulties with other people. And don't let that sidetrack you or rob you of your joy. And then he sums it all up. But how do I get through this? He says, I get through it through prayer. And I get through it through the power of the Spirit of Christ. What do we do in our suffering? We do a lot of this I want you to know, but maybe it's not always I want you to know how great my God is. Maybe it's I want you to know how bad I've got it. I want you to know how people are treating me. I want you to know, you know how much I hurt. I want you to know all the things that have happened to me in this life. And we need to stop that there are times for that. Paul expressed what he had been through in another passage for another reason. There are times when you can get together with a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. I'm really hurting. But for the most part, to the world, what we want to say is I want you to know that God is great. No matter what's going on around me, God is great. In American Canyon, our song leader used to sing a song, and I always loved it when she sang it. And basically the song, it had one phrase in there. It says, life is hard, but God is good. That's what Paul's saying. And the way that we can get to there is by a lot of prayer. Pray. Ask God to help you. Ask others to pray for you. He is actually thanking God that these folks have prayed for him. And the power of the Holy Spirit you're not alone going through what you're going through. And if you're not going through it now, as I said, one day you will go through something. And you need to know right now before you ever get there that you'll not go through it alone. The Holy Spirit will be there with you through those things. So the question is, what do you want people to know? Do you want them to know how big your trials are or how great your God is.